0: Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would like you to turn to the book, the New Testament book of Romans in chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Hold your place there for just a few minutes. I want to mention a couple of things before I begin this morning. The first thing I want to mention is we have something just a little bit different and new in the bulletin, and that is on the very back of the bulletin, you'll know that Notice that we have the sermon notes or the PowerPoint notes. Now these are a little bit of a condensed version of the PowerPoint notes. The only real difference is that we have the scripture references without the uh, scripture uh, actually typed out there. And that's so it would fit on one page and so we could put it in the bulletin each week. uh, At least when the speaker, and sometimes speakers besides me, don't use PowerPoint. So... When myself or others use PowerPoint, we will always try uh, to put it there. But I want to say, of course, on the screen, it will have the uh, Scripture verses uh, typed out there. Also, the full PowerPoint notes are still available in the foyer at the Information Center. They are also available on our website. So if you go to the website, you'll notice that to the side of the sermons, you can get the notes, the PowerPoint notes that go along with it. If there's a date where there aren't PowerPoint notes, it's probably because the speaker that week didn't use PowerPoint notes. So not all dates will be there, but just the dates that they have. That I just wanted to mention that. That's something that we will be doing from here forward. Also, many of you know I have been on vacation the last couple of weeks. We had a wonderful time. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you to Pastor Ron, for preaching the last two Sundays, and we are coming back to where I left off. And so if you are visiting with us this morning, I just want to explain that we are spending all of 2017 looking at what it means to be a disciple of Christ. That word disciple is often used very casually, very loosely, and we are taking an entire year to really look at, based on the Word of God, what does it mean to be a disciple. Now, within that larger series, I have been uh, sharing with you the last few weeks a kind of mini-series within the larger series termed, Abide in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Abiding in Christ is very, very important to being a disciple, to being a follower of Jesus. The first week we looked at John 15:5. This is actually the fifth Sunday morning we're looking at this particular topic, abiding in Christ. And then the last four weeks, including this week, we're looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2. So this is the fourth Sunday morning we've been in just this one passage of Scripture. And so let me read it for you again. This will kind of bring together everything in this mini-series. Romans 12, 1 and 2. perfect. Well, I want to, as I mentioned, what I want to do this morning is review where we've been and then bring it all together with the last part of verse 2. We have been breaking down Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 expositionally, and we're coming to the very last part of verse 2, but let me review for you to kind of bring everything together. Our first point this morning is abiding in Christ. And the definition I've used really connects it to the whole series on being a disciple. To abide in Christ means to be so in love with Christ and to be so consumed with Christ that his resurrection life in you transforms who you are and how you live. As best as I can articulate it based on numerous scripture, to abide in Christ really means to be in love with him to be consumed with the person of Christ and the work of Christ and all that it means to you, all that it means to the universe, and to be so in love with him and so consumed with him that the Holy Spirit residing in you, the resurrected and living Christ residing in you, just transforms who you are as a person and how you live your life. Well as I mentioned we started with John 15:5 as we looked at this subject Jesus said I am the vine and you are the branches whoever abides in me and I in him he it is who bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing That is a very important verse to this subject I'm the vine you are the branches Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. You want to bear fruit? You have to abide in Christ. The key to fruit bearing in the Christian life is abiding in Christ for apart from him, we can do nothing. If you remember back in June when I started this series, I shared a quote with you from a book I recommended to you an old book, a classic book called Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray, actually written over 100 years ago and still in print today. And I want to reshare with you one of the quotes from that book where Andrew Murray encourages us as Christians to embrace our weaknesses. Because when we are weak, we are strong in Christ. It is through our weaknesses that God is able to manifest his strength and his power. Andrew Murray, in that book, writes this. The Christian often tries to forget his weakness. God wants us to remember it, to feel it deeply. The Christian wants to conquer his weakness and to be freed from it. God wants us to rest and even rejoice in it. The Christian thinks his weaknesses are his greatest hindrance in the life and service of God. God tells us that it is the secret of strength and success. We think our weaknesses are our greatest, are our greatest hindrance when God says they are the secret. Our human weaknesses are actually the secret To abiding in, knowing, and living out his strength in us. And then we moved on and we looked at Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And we see that to abide in Christ means that our worship is transferred to Christ alone we no longer worship ourselves we are no longer self-absorbed and self-consumed and self-reliant but our worship is transferred to christ and to him alone again all that he is and all that he means to us the apostle paul says i appeal to you therefore brothers By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which, notice this, which is your spiritual worship. In Romans chapters 1 through 11, Paul spends the entire time telling us about how God has been merciful to us in Christ. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve the eternal punishment of God. But instead, through Christ, we have received the manifest mercy of God. Our response is to give ourselves to Christ. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He says, this is your worship. Some translations have this is your spiritual act of worship. It is to give yourself to Christ in response to the mercy that he has shown to us. We are so grateful for his mercy and his grace and his kindness toward us that we give our lives to him and we worship him. That's what it means to abide in Christ. And then we looked at the first part of Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. When we abide in Christ, there is a dramatic change in the way we think, in the way we view the world around us. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not let the world fit you into its mold. Do not think the way this world thinks. Do not think according to the philosophy of this world. Do not think according to the worldview of this world but rather be transformed and you are transformed by the renewal of your mind. God wants our minds to be changed to be transformed on a continual basis. God and then that brought us to the next part which I spent 2 weeks on one sermon that I shared in on two different Sundays that God wants our minds to be transformed by the living word and the written word the living word being Jesus Christ the written word of course being the bible we looked at first or excuse me second corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5 especially verse 5 we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ And when Paul tells the church at Corinth every thought, he means every thought. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then I shared with you four means that God uses in the Christian life to transform our minds. Four means that God uses in each of our lives to transform our minds. First, we continually savor the beauty of Christ. We are enthralled with him. We see the beauty, the majesty, the transcendence, the glory of Jesus and we savor how beautiful and how wonderful and how glorious He is. We fix our minds on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the writer of Hebrews says. Second, we continually submit to the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. One of the Works of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the triune Godhead is to illuminate the mind and emotions of the Christian, to open up the Word of God so that we understand it, so that we are enthralled by it and so that we can obey it we have something the unbeliever does not have the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit and we come to the Bible begging God to help us to understand it and to help us to meet him as we meet him in his word God wants to do a supernatural work in each of our lives every time we open the Bible If we allow him to, as I shared with you before, if the Bible is boring and dry to you, it is your fault. Because you are not relying on the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. He wants to just open up the whole world of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation so you can understand it, so you can be changed by it. I highly recommended to you one of the recent books by John Piper, Reading the Bible Supernaturally, Seeing and Savoring the Glory of God in Scripture. He spends an entire book talking about the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Third, we continually read, study, memorize, and meditate on the Word of God. We get the word of God into us in any and every way that we possibly can. And fourth, we continually surrender to the mission of Christ for the world. We want what Christ wants for this world. And I shared with you that the mission of Christ is that God is passionate for the spread of his name and fame around the world so that he might be worshipped by all the peoples of the world. And all of history, folks, all of history is moving toward one great goal, and that is the white-hot worship of God and his Son by all the peoples of the world. That's what history is moving toward, and that's what we should want. We should want the mission of Christ, the mission of God, for the world, So those are four ways in God, that God uses, four means that he has given us as Christians to have our minds transformed, to be renewed. And that brings us to the very last part that we look at this morning. Our second point this morning is, thy will be done. I have entitled this last part, a disciple's will is surrendered to Christ's will. When a disciple is abiding in Christ, he is constantly surrendering his will to Christ's will. Look again at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, here's our last clause. That by testing, you brother and sister in Christ, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There is a beautiful, beautiful progression in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We understand the mercies of God in Christ. We are overwhelmed by how merciful he has been to us when we deserve his punishment and we are so thankful and so grateful for the mercy of God that we give our lives to Christ in worship we just want to worship Christ for all he has done for us for all he means to us and then we are not conformed to this world but we're transformed By the renewal of our mind, we immerse ourselves, literally immerse ourselves in Scripture. We come longing for God as we meet with Him in His Word. Then, if you're doing that, if you are worshiping Christ alone, if you are immersing yourself in His Word, then, 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 you will be able to test and discern the will of God. And his will is good and acceptable and perfect. So, we want his will. That's what we want. We want the will of God for our lives. It was on the screen during the offering time and I want to share it with you again. Luke twenty-two forty-two. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is about to go to his crucifixion. He is about to endure the cup of God's wrath as a substitute for our sins. And this is what he prays. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Folks, here is a prayer you can pray every day for the rest of your lives. From the perfect example in Christ himself not my will, but yours be done. As many times as you have heard that over the years of your Christian life, it is at the very foundation of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and of what it means to abide in Christ. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. A disciple surrenders his rights to Christ. It's interesting as I was thinking about this I'm old enough now that I remember back in the 1980s and even into the 1990s, you used to hear a lot of sermons on giving up your rights, of surrendering your rights to Christ. I rarely hear sermons on that subject today. I'm not saying they're not there, but I don't hear it nearly as much as I used to. But it's an important topic that a disciple of Jesus is always yielding his rights to Christ. You may say, I have the right to live a comfortable and secure life. You know what? You surrender that right to Christ. You surrender that to him. You may say, I have the right to be treated fairly. You surrender that right to Christ. You may say, I have the right to pursue the American dream of prosperity and good health, but you surrender that right to christ you may say you know what i'll treat my husband or i'll treat my wife any way i want to that's my right no you surrender that right to christ you surrender all your rights to him you do what he wants not what you want it also means that you take all of your hopes and all of your dreams and you lay them on the altar of christ all my hopes all my dreams i lay them on your altar they are yours To change if you choose to do so. Now don't misunderstand me here, there is nothing wrong with having hopes and dreams. Your hopes and dreams may be God-honoring, they may be something that you have prayed about. Let's say, for example, that you are a young man or a young woman and your hope, your dream is that you're going to be a successful business person. And you want to make a good deal of money so that you can support world missions, so that you can support God's work around the world. That is a worthy thing, a good thing. But as a disciple of Jesus who is abiding in him, you take those dreams and you lay them on his altar. Lord, if you want to change that dream, you have every right to do so. It may be that God is going to lead you in a different direction. He may lead you into some kind of ministry. He may lead you even into some kind of secular work where you are serving people but not making a lot of money. And he will help you to be content with that and to find great fulfillment in that. So again, there's nothing wrong with having hopes and dreams, but if God wants to change those hopes and dreams, he has every right to because you're his disciple and it's not my will, but his be done. The will of God is an interesting subject in the Christian life in, within evangelical Christianity. We often see the will of God as something that's kind of mysterious and elusive. We're out there searching for, looking for the will of God. Well, I want to share something with you that I have shared in the past. It's a very foundational principle, but one we need to go back to again and again. The Word of God is the will of God. The Word of God is the will of God. The vast majority of the will of God for your life is found right in the Word of God. Now, I say the vast majority, and I'll clarify that in just a few minutes. But you really want to know what the will of God is for your life, You don't have to go out there searching for something mysterious. It's found in Scripture. Everything you read in Scripture, taken in its context, interpreted correctly, is God's will for your life. It is. The commands of Christ, the commands of the New Testament, the commands of the Old Testament that apply to New Testament Christians, they are all the will of God for your life. When you study the Word of God, you are studying the will of God. I'll put it that way. So when you are studying the word word of God, you are studying the will of God. Remember the four things that I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago. Continually savor the beauty of Christ. Continually submit yourself to the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Continually read, study, memorize, and meditate on the word of God. Continually surrender yourself to the mission of God for the world. How are you able to do that? Through the word of God. Through the word of God. Now, Some of you may say, yes, but Pastor Tim, there are some things that I don't find specifically in the Word of God. And you are correct. Who should I date? Who should I marry? Which college should I go to? Which job do I choose? Which career do I choose? Do I choose job A or choose job B? Lord, show me your will. We've all prayed that. We want the will of God. What house should I buy? Lord, is this the right house for us to buy? I want to know, Lord, because we don't want to violate your will in the purchase of this home. That is a good prayer, and that is part of the will of God. But let me say this to you, and I really want to hone in on it this morning. Before you ask those questions, you need to to be obeying the will of God you already know. You need to be committed to and obeying the will of God as it is revealed in Scripture before you start asking, who should I date or who should I marry or which job should I have or where should I go to college or which house should I buy? First of all, you need to be obeying the will of God as it has been revealed in Scripture. Let me share something else with you that I've shared many times over the years. God is more concerned about your character than he is about your career. Hey, God is more concerned about your character than he is about your career. Now, don't misunderstand again. God is concerned about your career. He wants you to have a fulfilling career that is submitted to him, that, is, uh, that you want to do what you do for him, to honor and glorify him in your job. However, God is much more concerned with who you are becoming as a man or a woman. Are you being conformed to the image of Christ? Are you growing in Christ? Are you maturing in Christ? Are you, is your personality being transformed by the beauty of Christ in you? Is the light of Christ shining through you? Those kinds of issues are far more important to God than specifically which job you are working at. Let me put it all this way. God's revealed will is the key to discerning God's unrevealed specific will for your life. God's revealed will is the key to discerning God's unrevealed specific will for your life. So if you're not obeying the word of God, why are you even asking these other questions? You don't want God's will over here. Why do you want it over there? That's the thought. So you first of all, need to be committed to obeying the revealed will will of God as it is given to you in Scripture. And I want to exhort all of us this morning, we need to be hypersensitive to the voice of God. Now that may sound strange in a Baptist church, that we need to be hypersensitive to the voice of God. I am not saying I hear the audible voice of God because I don't. I don't need to hear the audible voice of God because I have the Word of God. The voice of God is the Word of God. You have the voice of God. You are listening to the voice of God every time you read Scripture. And I want to say to all of us, we need to be hypersensitive to the voice of God. When you're asking, who should I date and who should I marry? Which college should I go to? Which job should I choose? Which house should I buy? The first thing you ought to do is be hypersensitive. What does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? Let me give you some examples here from scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 4. It is God's will, notice that phrase. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Here's God's will for your life. That you avoid sexual immorality. That each of you learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. So you don't need to ask, I wonder if it's God's will that I have premarital sex. I wonder if it's God's will that I have extramarital sex. I wonder if it's God's will that I dabble in pornography. I wonder if it's God's will that I entertain lustful thoughts. It is not God's will. It is not God's will. Here is God's will for your life. You know the will of God in this area that you should avoid sexual immorality. 1 Peter 3:17. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. There are times when it is God's will according to his word that you are going to suffer for doing the right thing we doing what is honorable and pleasing to the Lord. You live in a fallen world that's under the control of the evil one. According to 1 John 5, 19, God has given temporary reign to Satan over this fallen world. So there are times when it's going to be God's will that you suffer for living for Christ and obeying Christ. You don't have to wonder if that's God's will. It is God's will if your suffering is for doing that which is good and right in God's sight. Now, Romans chapter 1 verse 10. Paul wants to know from God when is it right to visit the churches in Rome? When is it the right time? So he's looking for that unrevealed will from God. He says, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may know at last, or excuse me, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now I want you to notice what Paul is doing here. He is saying, I am serving with my whole heart. I am serving with my spirit the gospel. I am serving the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am praying without ceasing. And now, Lord show me, show me when it is your will that I should make the trip to the churches in Rome. You see how it works here? He's walking with God, he's living a life of prayer, and then he says, now Lord, show me your will in this other area of my life. Now, as we bring this to a conclusion this morning, I want you to notice very carefully That God's will is described as what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you notice that? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Some translations have what is good, pleasing, and perfect. You know, sometimes we grow up with this thought. If I really follow the will of God, I won't have any fun. If I really follow the will of God... I'll live a bland and boring life with no excitement, and I'll just kind of sit back and watch the people of the world have all the fun and all of the excitement. Well, folks, nothing could be further from the truth. It is life-changing. It is life-changing when you realize that God's will is more satisfying than anything else this world has to offer. It is. When a young man, a young woman, or an older man, an older woman comes to the realization in his or her life that God's will is more satisfying than anything this world has to offer, it will change your life. It really will. God wants you to bring great glory to him. Because the human soul finds its greatest joy its greatest thrill, its greatest satisfaction in glorifying God. I just want you to think about that with me. God wants you to bring great glory to him, one, because he is worthy and deserving of all the glory we give to him. But he also has created you in such a way that your soul finds its greatest joy, its greatest adrenaline-pumping thrill, it's greatest satisfaction in bringing glory to God. Something you've, some of you have heard many times, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the chief end of man. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God wants his will for your life to be thrilling and exciting and filled with joy. If you are leading a joyless Christian life, you're probably not in the will of God. Now, let me hasten to say that doesn't mean you won't suffer. It doesn't mean you won't go through trials and tribulations Really appreciated the song that Chris sang this morning. It goes right along with this. It doesn't mean that we somehow are immune from trials and struggles, but even, this is the amazing thing, even in the midst of those trials and struggles, we find the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. So, let me bring this whole mini-series together. When we abide in Christ... When our worship is focused on Christ alone, when our minds are transformed by the word of God, we will, we will be able to discern what is the will of God and know that God's will is good. It is acceptable. It is perfect. Throughout the history of the church, men and women just like us, for over 2,000 years, have been praying a prayer they were taught by Jesus, either directly or through Scripture. And the prayer they have been praying for 2,000 years goes like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That ought to be my prayer and your prayer. Lord Jesus, Father, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. The prayer of a disciple, Lord, may your will be my will. Lord, may your will be my will. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for all of your disciples here this morning. Disciples who love you and who long to do what is good in your sight, help each and every one of us to daily, moment by moment, surrender our will to Christ's will, to surrender our rights to Christ, to lay our hopes and dreams upon your altar. Lord, we want what you want for this world. Lord, we want what you want for each of our lives and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.